Welcome to Those Hard Conversations, a platform dedicated to discussing solutions to the issues facing our most vulnerable and marginalized communities. We use a harm reduction approach to explore practical strategies for positive change in communities facing undeniable challenges. Hello, everyone, and welcome to those hard conversations. I'm Elvis Rosado. Hello, everyone, and I'm Clayton Ruley, and welcome. So we've we've had some some conversations lately, but um, about different things that are happening. But I wanted to have a conversation today, Clayton, um, surrounding the the. I don't want to say the future of harm reduction, but. Um, the impact that harm reduction is going to have in the near future, how things are changing with Trank Dope and and just uh, the NIMBY folks continue continued uh, uh, negative response towards it. But um, I wanted to get a little bit of your take. What's your take on on just what's happening with Trank Dope right now? And and if you wanna, if you want, I don't know if you want me to explain what Trank Dope is, or if you want to go ahead and do that. But. No, please explain. To the folks in the, so, in the crowd. Yeah. So when we talk about Trank Dope, there is a new series of drug on the market. It's actually called Silazine, the actual name. Um, it is an animal in anesthesia that basically is the concept of benzos like Xanax uh, or Valium or something like that, but for animals. And then it has a chemical composition that is not designed for human consumption. So it has a tendency to create almost like a, a, an effect on the skin. Like if you had, when you throw acid on the skin, it burns it up and it creates these really ugly abscesses. Um, and it's being mixed uh, not only with, with heroin, but whatever drugs are on the street now. And recently I was, I was reading uh, a piece where they found that, they're mixing it with manite, manite. I don't know if it's pronounced manite or manite, M-A-N-N-I-T-E. It is a sugar substance and they use it to cut it because when you heat up heroin, it cre- it has like this browning effect. And that's how you can tell normally that it's heroin. But what they're doing is they're cutting it with this sugar. So when people heat it up, it creates a browning effect, but it's the sugar that's browning. It's not that it's actual heroin. So it's almost to confuse people that they're to think that they're actually buying heroin. So anyway, so that's that's the that's the the trank dope is the mixture of silazine with with a another another powdered form drug heroin or whatever fentanyl to make it seem like it's actual heroin. So Elvis, I just looked up. Um, I believe it's mannitol, M A N N I T O L which is uh-huh. a type of sugar alcohol used as a sweetener in medication, used as a low-calorie sweetener as it's poorly absorbed by the intestines. Uh, as a medication, it can be used to decrease pressure in the eyes, as in glaucoma, and to lower increase intracranial pressure. Medically, it is given by injection. Effects hmm. typically begin within 15 minutes and last up to eight hours. So it is called manite, M-I- M-A-N-N-I-T-E, 
mana sugar and D mannitol. Um, okay. So this is what you're talking about. It's prescription only for use, uh, medical use available over the counter as a food sweetener. Um, and it goes through your kidneys. Um, it metabolizes through your liver and excretion comes through your kidneys in 90%. Goes out of your body in about 100 minutes. Uh, that's the half-life. So, um, yes, this is what's been being used. Um, I mean, I think, you know, whether it's crack, whether it's fentanyl, whether it is, you know, uh, trank dope as we're hearing it now, whether it's the crossover with fentanyl and all the other drug supplies, I think, you know, what we need to learn as a society and the frustrating thing about, you know, dealing with the people that, you know, we oftentimes have to deal with um, is that folks don't realize that, as I've said before on, you know, those hard conversations, uh, the drugs are a symptom of a larger problem. And uh, we really have to get to the knit uh, and grit of the larger problems um, and not worry about, I mean, certainly be aware of the fact that there are different different drugs and chemical compositions or you know compositions of drugs but are we really addressing what the major problems are because the drugs are going to come they're going to go once we get our handle on one drug another drug is going to pop up because necessity in people's minds is always going to be the mother of invention how do yeah. we actually handle what gets people to gravitate towards doing some of these things, sometimes intentionally, a lot of times intentionally, but sometimes unintentionally through other, you know, drugs. That is, you know, my major point of anything that we're seeing right now. You know, the K2 stepped up, you know, probably like 2016 and 17 and became more than just, you know, fake looking, non, you know, not terribly abrasive, uh, you know, fake marijuana to now, you know, fentanyl was put in it. And, you know, we're going to keep on seeing this escalation in drugs as folks, you know, have ability via internet and, you know, just desperation to try to find something that maybe they can slide under the radar, i.e. to their probation officer or, you know, any sort of testing protocols that they have for work or, you know, uh, another case. Um, let's get to the bare bones of what we're doing, um, or what we're trying to avoid, um, by not having those hard conversations. Um, and then also think about the fact that, you know, we haven't broached just too much on the show, but what would, and maybe this is certainly a topic we're not going to cover today, uh, cause it's a much longer ranging topic, but what would legalization of the pure drugs that folks typically are searching for? itself um due to i guess for lack of a better term dispromote uh all the synthetic drugs uh or you know reaching out for drugs that are not made for human consumption that we're seeing right now so a little long-winded but i hope there's an answer in that <laughs> yeah no and I, I mean i agree i, I just think you know it, it's just difficult because um like we see we see what's happening. We see a turn, not only um, like the impact of this for me that what I've what I've noticed in the last couple of days. And we were out there on Friday in in the park doing a doing a health a health fair type of event. 
you know, but you're seeing a substance where people are passing out that no longer responds to, to uh, um, Narcan. You're seeing people with more profound abscesses and, and sores. Um, and in general, you're seeing a lot of, a lot, also a lot of, uh, um, <laughs> cape wearers running around Narcanning everybody just because the person is, is, you know, laid out. And, um, and I say cape wearers because it's just like lately, it seems like more and more people are coming out of the woodwork with Narcan and it's, yeah, it's just been a little bit interesting to watch, but it's but what just we like, want to happen. We want folks to have Narcan, but we also want folks yeah. want to know how to use Narcan and use it properly. Know how to see yes. the difference. That's what the reference. To yes, and, and, and make sure super, that try be a superhero, you know, instead of yeah. you know uh, actually like following the signs and and you know the education you know that you have or should have gotten before you got the Narcan. And then listen to folks who are around who actually know what they're talking about instead of trying to be uh, a superhero, Rambo, or, or whoever your favorite superhero is. I'm sorry for uh, cutting. No, no, no. It's cool. You, you're, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, because I like, for instance, I was checking on somebody who the person was obviously breathing. You know, they were just like in a really awkward position. So I was trying to reposition them. And this young couple ran up. Um, and she was like, I have Narcan. We'll give And I was like, he's okay. He doesn't need Narcan. He's breathing. He's fine. Well, you have to do this and rub his chest. And she, you know, was demonstrating the, the sternum rub with the knuckles on the chest and rubbing really hard. And I said, again, that's only if I was going to check and see if he was or wasn't responding. I said, he's responding. He's just in an awkward position. I'm just trying to position him so where he can breathe. And, and you know, and it was like, but look, I have, and she wasn't listening. So eventually had to walk up afterwards and be like, listen, I appreciate you looking out. I said, but he was fine, you know, and they were trained by some other organization that I didn't even know did training. So I don't know who that person at that place is that trained them, but, but it's something that um, I think that we're seeing, we're seeing more of people, yeah, carrying Narcan and wanting to be involved, but I'm also... I'm also concerned with the fact that um, you have individuals now that pose a risk of possibly stop breathing and not respond to Narcan or possibly get infections like we used to see in the 90s as a result of these abscesses. And I just I think we we are we are reaching a, a turning point where we may start to have to do basic um, outreach again to educate people about what's happening and taking care of their wounds and, and providing more wound care. But at the same time, I'm concerned because we also have a new population of um, not in my backyard folks who are for the most part, you know, um, what is it? What's the word I'm trying to get? They're ramping up, I guess, behind the scenes to try to possibly just move this population somewhere else. And we already know that that doesn't work. You know? Yeah, things are cyclical. So, things are cyclical. Yeah. And, you know, folks are trying to move people off of specific avenues. They're trying to move people, you know, 
uh, out of, you know, certain, you know, prime locations. Um, and, you know, because folks don't ever have, you know, that one place or multiple places that they can go to actually, you know, get that, that temporary or, or medium term or long term, uh, you know, uh, refuge, um, they oftentimes will turn back to where your eye is not looking. Um, so, yep. you know, in the instance of, you know, Kensington, you know, there's been a major push in the last couple of months to get people off of the major artery, which is Kensington Avenue. And you don't see as many folks out there. But what happens is they go a block or two east or west. Uh, and now they're starting to camp out, uh, you know, in on those blocks and vacant lots or in parking lots. Um, and you're also starting to see a return to the underpasses. I was going to uh, say that, space yeah. Where folks can, uh, you know, lay their head. And, you yeah. know, you just want solutions that, you know, are long ranging and are not short ranged. Um, and I think there's a personal responsibility, both with individuals and, you know, people that live in the actual communities. But then also, um, you know, there has to be, a, you know, refusion or refusal of, you know, letting folks live in certain conditions by, uh, you know, people who are elected in the community to be representatives and also people who claim to be representatives in the community and claim to be caring about everyone who's in the community. Um, no one ever says, I only care about the folks who are housed in the community. No one or rarely does a person say, I only care about folks who don't use drugs or folks who don't do other risky behaviors. Most folks come to the, the table saying, I'm a person of the people and for the people, and I yeah. care about everyone. But you see so many examples of this community in particular in contrast with other neighborhoods in Philadelphia in particular. And I know that we're speaking on a Philadelphia perspective, but there's many other places in this state, in this you know, country, in this world where it's the same type of dynamic. There always seems to be one or two places in you know a town, in a, in a city, um, even in the burbs, uh, in rural areas. That's always led, you know, led to be uh, kind of feast or famine, um, and you know. It's very disingenuous to continue to say you're doing right by everybody if, you know, a certain population never gets, uh, you know, what they need to truly be uh, as well off. Um, it reminds me of, and I don't have the direct uh, quote, but it's one that's pretty much, you know, said time and time again. You know, it's like equal is not like, you know, because you have two you know, then I have two as well. You know, equal or equality is about, you know, getting people what they need to be successful. So if that means that because of a host of circumstances, including poverty, including racism, including, you know, trauma, in including drug use, including sex work, all the things that play this community, that this community should be treated as be well and honestly much better uh, than uh, uh, Northern Liberties or uh, Center City or downtown, as folks might call it, or West Philly, as far as resources go, then that's exactly what it needs to have in order to get back up uh, on its feet, you know? 
You know, don't yeah. continue to let certain neighborhoods be downtrodden. Uh, even if you say, well, okay, they have the access to the same facilities uh, in the community overall that we do. If you know you have a trash problem and you're only picking up one time a week, in certain communities, you should probably think about picking up twice a week for this community, make a special initiative. Um, yeah. If you know that you, you know, have an issue with, you know, uh, you know, in the case of like syringes being on the street or food being on the street, um, because this neighborhood is typically a place that's doing certain activities more often than not, you don't compare it to, you know, another, you know, neighborhood and say, well, they don't have to have that here. Why do we have to have that here? You get people what they need to actually be successful. So that might mean more, you know, uh, safe disposal bins. That might mean more places or a place indoors on a big time level where folks can actually do what they're doing outside and on the avenue and in places that you complain about indoors. It certainly means having more access to food, but maybe access to food that's indoors, more trash cans in the community. Um, even something as simple as a storm drain uh, in certain communities can make a major difference. You have certain communities where there's no major issues with uh, you know, dumping, and so maybe you keep the storm drains the same. But if you have issues in certain communities where folks are using uh, storm drains like trash cans, then maybe you get some more you know, micro netting around those storm drains. So the only thing that can go in is those, you know, uh, is the water that it's actually intended for. And you make sure that those drains are cleared out so folks don't have flooding in the community. So let me and let me say, let me say on that, because I've had a conversation with a couple of people that I've seen sweeping the trash into the drain. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Right. And these individuals were under the 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 impression of the illusion Big that all that washes out into the ocean. And I'm like, no, that doesn't go anywhere. It stays in the drain and it clogs it up. And they were like boggled because they thought that that would wash everything down into some river or the ocean or something. And I'm like, no. But even if it did, why would you want to put trash well, then, in the no. ocean? Yeah, but that's true. But but the 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 idea that that there's people who think that this is actually another way of disposing, you know, it's about just common sense education. It's common sense, um, just putting information out and doing um, community, just like we, and we talked about this the other day, just community gatherings, having a meeting with the community and saying, listen, you know what? We're willing to give you supplies to, to help clean your neighborhood, but we can't keep cleaning the front of your house for you. If you own it, then you need to be responsible. You know, if you want us to keep you to help you make your neighborhood safer, you're going to have to contribute. You know, and it, and it's something that's become also um, more of a of an issue of for me anyway that I think it's become more of an issue where people feel that it's it's an obligation to them that we're supposed somebody's supposed to clean the streets for us entitlement, entitlement. yeah right yeah and and it's, it's something that unfortunately you know what. Like I used to sell my students, you know, they used to say, oh, my parents are supposed to buy me new shoes and shirts. And actually, no, you, they're, you, all they're in, they have to do is make sure you have shoes on your feet and clothes on your back, food on the table and heat. Let, and it, your clothes doesn't have to match. It doesn't have to be name brand. Just as long as you're clothed and you have shoes on your feet, the basic necessities, you know, the rest is gravy. The rest is extra. But it's about taking pride 
and saying, you know what? I live here. We live here. Can we at least come together once a week to keep the neighborhood clean? And maybe then others will, 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 you know, will be motivated as well. But I know I got a little bit off track with this whole thing, but it's, it's, it's about um, the fact that some folks have more access to better everything than others. And a lot of it is because, well, you know, these individuals, they pay, they pay more taxes than you do. They all work and, and blah, blah, blah. And the people in these neighborhoods, a lot of them are on welfare. Regardless, you know, I've, I've asked this question before. Every time the police does a raid in, in Kensington or in the neighborhoods, you get a, a situation where um, money is confiscated, right? So if you confiscate a million dollars in the Kensington area, why is that million dollars not going back into that neighborhood? It's obviously coming from the people that use and live there. So that money obviously came from those individuals, whether it was from welfare, whether it was from hustling, whether it was from working, that money came out of that neighborhood. Why is that money not reinvested? It used to be given to the police department to buy more weapons and and other equipment. They no longer do that. My understanding is it goes into a bank account, but no one can tell me what they're using that bank account for anymore. It's just sitting in a bank account. So you know, there is money available to help the communities and most of it came from the community, you know? So I, I just, it, it's just frustrating to see that we live in this bubble where nothing is getting done. Everybody has a solution and that is just get rid of everybody who's homeless and using, but no one has a, a pragmatic program, anything in place to say, this is what we need to do. This is what works. This is how we can help this community. And a lot of times, even if you had that solution, the frustrating thing is because of stigma and judgment uh, and people's moral compasses, you know, whether it's a compass that's headed straight into the ground or one that's really in the air, um, up, you know, pointing towards the sun, folks won't do what's been clearly proved to at least have some type of positive effect. But in a lot of cases have a tremendous effect in what, you know, in success of whatever the particular problem is. Um, I mean, in the end, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, what we're talking about is based around accountability. Um, It's based around like folks not doing what, you know, they're being paid to do and doing what they were, you know, put in that position to do. And it's a little bit different because I think there's definitely some folks who, are put in a position to do good things, i.e., you know, be an elected official, i.e., work at a community-based organization. Uh, and instead, a lot of times, especially the higher up the f- folks get, it seems like it turns into more of what they're being paid a lot of times by others to do or what they're not willing to risk because they're, you know, getting paid and have to tow a certain line. And therefore, a lot of I think positive initiatives that could be happening winds up getting either slowed down tremendously or, or just doesn't happen. And meanwhile, you know, we have thousands of people that are dying a year because of some of these uh, lack of, you know, initiatives or initiatives that are clearly uh, doomed to fail 
if not from the start, from the middle, uh, because they're not uh, either far reaching enough or they're overreaching uh, in scope. Um, and we you have, know, go ahead. we have, we, we currently have, you know, easily, easily within a five block radius or, or 10 block radius of, of, of the, 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 you know, the Kensington, let's say, um, the epicenter is what I was, the word I was looking for from the epicenter. Um, we have at least 20 organizations, nonprofit organizations, you know, who are supposed to be community-based. Some of them religious, some of them are just, just regular CBOs, some of them are harm reduction related. And it seems like the majority of them, even though they, they, have the 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 capacity, the means, and the understanding, some understanding to work with this population in a system, they refuse to because they don't agree with the way that these individuals choose to live their lives. And it's like because you are sick, I'm not gonna help you. You know, you have, and I and I'm putting them out, you have the Salvation Army who has literally admitted to chasing people off of their steps uh, you know, you have the, what was said was you have no idea what it's like to come to our office every day and have to, and have homeless people sleeping on our on our front steps and everything. We have to shoo them away. Well, you are the Salvation Army. You're supposed to help people that are destitute. You have an organization like Ase who does housing and helps people with housing and buy homes and everything. That's what you do. But you can't figure out a way to provide housing to homeless people and try to figure out hey, we know everything there is to know about housing and helping people keep their homes, save their homes and get into a home. Maybe we should consider trying to figure out how we can develop something to get people housed. You have Congreso who does, had a drug and alcohol program for years, had a housing program for years, you know, who are also not involved with how do we find a solution for these individuals that live with our, within our community that are homeless and suffering from substance use disorder and trauma and all this other stuff. You have, um, uh, what the heck are they called? Um, the the mental health place. Um, Comar. But Comar, you deal with mental health. You're telling me that you guys can't develop some kind of program to say, hey, let's train people on, on how to better work with trauma with these individuals when they're out there doing outreach. Let's, let's dedicate a, let's a, do a, treat a outreach day. ourselves. Yeah, let's let's de dedicate a day a week or every two weeks where we're literally going to say, look, the office is not going to open or not everybody's going to be here because we're going to go out and do outreach and try to reach out to some of these people with mental health issues and and try to provide a support. You know, and I mean, we can go on with all these other agencies and all these other organizations that can say, hey, I can contribute a little bit. This is what I got. You know, but it's like everybody, if they want one agency to do all the work and 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 cure everybody and and find a solution or if you can't do it then we're just going to get rid of them like they were stray animals right you know and this is something that has gotten frustrating because it's like you hear the same bs every time well why can't we get rid of them why can't we move them what well why why can't we help them how about that why isn't that your question exactly I wish we had a world against poverty uh, and mental health uh, stigma like we have had a, a war on drugs. Um, 
the success rate would be so much better. Um, I think your idea would be tremendous if we could have a coalition of existing community partners, but even those partners uh, in the area, you know, should be more honed into that certain community, like I would say for Kensington Avenue. And you should have, you know, spots on every block, you know, from the 2600 block of Kensington up to the 3100 block. There should be a place. I mean, it should be like the Las Vegas of places to get help uh, on the avenue. Instead, right now, it's the Las Vegas of convenience stores um, where folks can, you know, just while out on sugary, salty, uh, you know, greasy, greasy substances uh, for little to no money. Um, and you know, you don't have to be clean up because you're not being held accountable as a store owner to clean up. Um, you know, you, you can do the single serve items and, you know, get money from the same people that you complain, or if you don't complain, you don't advocate for as far as being a community member. Um, but you're certainly making money off of that person who is in the neighborhood. Um, you know, I've heard in the past from, you know, people who work at, you know, one person I've heard who works at one of the major uh, social service agencies or agencies in the area that harm reduction uh, is a failure or harm reduction didn't work. Harm reduction has not been exercised in Philadelphia uh, yet. Harm reduction is exercised by a handful of organizations and a lot of individuals that are passionate about meeting people where they are, regardless of what they do, knowing that being preventative is the best way to save lives, not being reactive, not locking up people up and throwing away the key, not judging and shaming people. Um, you don't do a, a, a tenth step or a quarter step or even a half step in some cases you know, around harm reduction like practices, i.e., you know, we're not going to give, you know, from like policing uh, concerns, we're not going to lock people up. We're not going to, you know, uh, you know, give people fines. We'll give them citations. Uh, you know, we're not going to, you know, throw them in jail for being on the streets, but not have the next steps, which is, you know, you want people to move. Where are they going to? You don't want to find them, but you tell them that they can't do this here. Where can they go to do what they need to do? Uh, you want them to get in the treatment, but you don't have treatment where they can access it. You want yeah. them to get medical care, but you don't have medical care that understands that when you're dealing with unique circumstances, you're not going to do things in 100% fashion because even the folks who have the best means and practices in mind aren't going to do things at 100% fashion. Uh, 100%, so you know, yeah. So what's actually failed has been the, the, the other programs because harm reduction hasn't failed because harm reduction has done exactly what it's supposed to do. It has minimized and reduced and slowed down the, the, the negative effects of drug use, poverty, homelessness, hunger, you know? Yep. Yeah. So what's failed has been access to, you know, treatment programs have failed. Medical systems have failed. You know, housing systems have failed. The, the legal system has failed. We've been trying to incarcerate people 
for the last 50 years and be well, longer than that, but literally the last 50 plus years, we have spent it locking people up, you know, for something as simple as smoking marijuana to possession, to selling. And I, I had this conversation with a group that I did on Thursday and they were like, you know, how do you feel about the drug use and the drug sales? And I go, well, you have to understand. I believe that there are some people selling drugs that need to be locked up. But I also understand that there's some people selling drugs because it's the only way they have to pay their bills and pay and, and keep their you know family in a house and, and put food on the table. So we have to address um, the, the what's causing somebody to have to sell drugs to be able to feed their families as opposed to be able to get a job. I mean, given that today there's more jobs available than ever before because nobody wants to go back to work because they got, you know, they're doing well collecting unemployment. But the reality is that just because all those jobs are accessible doesn't mean that anybody has access to all those jobs. A lot of them are jobs that don't have medical insurance are not the greatest pay, you know, um, and I, I can go on with that. But my point is that we have to look at what are what are the and, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here because we've had this conversation before, but what are the things that are systemically causing these behaviors? Why is there, you know, tons and tons of trash in the street? Why are there tons of people living under bridges? What is it, five years now, six years since they cleared out that encampment? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it that people are still um dying on the streets from something so simple as an infection or um, tainted drugs or, you know, violence against homeless people. Homelessness is not a crime. And yet people, they're like, yeah, yeah, but they're using drugs. So drug use is, all right, you know, they, it, it's this constant um, going around and around and around. And it's, you, you can't say harm reduction doesn't work because Hey, in 10 years, they saved the city $250 billion. You know, they prevented over 10,000 infection, new infections of HIV. There was less endocarditis. $2.4 billion, $250 million over, you know, a year, year, over a 10-year period. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, in the end, Elvis, I still think no matter what people say, uh, you know, in public or in, you know, on commercials or in literature, there's still a deserving and undeserving poor. There's a deserving yeah. and an undeserving homeless people to some folks. We're not yeah. asking folks who are downtown to go across town to have some sort of temporary respite or shelter. We do ask people in Kensington to go downtown or 50, 15 blocks East on Lehigh, depending on what your, you know, makeup is as a person, if you bring kids and other, you know, circumstances to the table, we do ask folks outside of, you know, or in Kensington to go across town to simply lay their head in, you know, something that has a roof, a shelter, you know, in general, you know, we know that there's been a major problem. You know, you want to say harm reduction doesn't work when you close the encampments, which I don't think anybody on this, you know, uh, hard conversations, those hard conversations podcast is going to disagree with. You know, the next step is we are building a rehabbed or uh, we are rehashing 
remodeling an old facility or we are building a brand new facility that has the number of beds, you know, to house the number of people that we're estimating are homeless in this neighborhood. What is the point of going out and doing homeless counts, uh, particularly in a neighborhood like Kensington, where I know we've, you know, counted over 150 people, 175 people, 225 people on the streets at one time, if you don't actually provide the resources that's going to get people housed. And don't tell me it's about, you know, not having enough finances, because we know that it's all about, you know, who you're pushing things to. Um, You know, why are we building, you know, skate parks and winter wonderlands in certain neighborhoods for people to peruse and have a good time? But we have folks that are literally on the streets dying in other neighborhoods. And in other neighborhoods, it would be totally, uh, you know, disgusting. I mean, it's disgusting in this neighborhood, but, you know, you would never see it is, is my point. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm a, I'm, I think I'm going to do a T-shirt that says no more Band-Aids because I'm sick and tired of seeing and hearing about the Band-Aid solutions instead of the long-term solutions. And it does take having those conversations with our neighbors and our community members. Um, and it can't always come from folks who are working at agencies that are doing the work. It actually has to come from the community members themselves and people who are um, you know, with experience, lived experience, whether it's current experience or you know, uh, past experience, to be those voices to say, hey, if it was up to the standards that you have, I would have died 20 years ago. Um, or explain to them, this is not, you know, mom and dad's, you know, drug supply. This is why it's important to think about a safe supply. This is why it's important to think about legalization. This is why it's important to think about safe consumption space. This is why it's important to get people into housing. This is why it's important to have better options for treatment. This is why it's better to have, you know, programs in the neighborhood that you actually see people you know, getting help or needing help in. This is why it's important to have a place for folks to go inside to receive food so folks don't have to receive food in the parks, in parking lots, on random corners. So you don't have this problem. This is why it's important to have trash cans in the neighborhood. Um, Big picture solutions, no more Band-Aids, you know, that, that, that is where we need to go. You know, there's a lot of lip service, And there's also a lot of manipulation and brainwashing because I think the same folks who have failed a lot of the people in the community consistently continue to advocate for those folks because those folks always spin it back to, I'm only one person in the community, even though I'm the representative of the community. In the end, it's about the the other players and, and powers that be not doing what I want them to do. But if you have the same problems that have been occurring for the last five, 10, 15 years, depending on how long you've been in office, eventually the mirror needs to turn on you and they have to say, what's the solution? And you know, if you've been giving lip service over those years because you're only trying to do what's going to keep you elected or keep your pockets fat and not really, in this case, like Kensington, get people off the streets, get them access to help where they are, you know, you're not doing any favors and those folks don't need to be uh, continuing to, you know, be in, in charge of uh, representing that community. And I, and, and I agree with you. I mean, I think that, you know, because people 
say, oh, we don't have any solutions. No, there are solutions. There are options that, that, that work. The, the other problem also is, like you said, there's individuals that will block every single possibility to implement any of those because they have another agenda. There's other, you know, there's development happening. There is money being invested in the community. And they're like, wait, wait, if we get rid of these people, then the development will happen quicker. And this will be a beautifully flourished neighborhood that I'm in charge of, you know. But right now, these people are keeping my, my you know, they're keeping money out, off the table for me because they're, they're excusing the expression, they cock blocking the money by being here. So we need to get rid of them I, I, and they won't allow any other significant service to be established within Kensington or within the area for the simple fact that that means the population gets to stay. And, you know, you have other programs, you have other individuals who are putting in grants and creating nonprofits, which is going to tap into more money. You know, they're going to take more money that's already on the table for agencies to try to do some work because they want to do similar work. And all you're doing is recreating something that's already there instead of saying, okay, how can we do something different? And, and realistically, you have some people who are creating these organizations, not with the intent to help this population, but they have used this population as the means of their grants. Oh, I want to be able to help the homeless and I want to be able to help, you know, feed people and clothe people and blah, blah, blah. But then they choose, they pick and choose who they're going to help. You know, I still remember, I still remember the nineties with HIV and AIDS working at an organization where our responsibility was to educate the individuals that were high risk of catching, contracting HIV and AIDS. You know, and literally educators and saying to me, ew, I'm not working with those people. They wanted to work in, they wanted to do pharmacies and bars and clubs and hair salons where they could mingle and be happy and be friendly. But the population that was highest at risk, who were the people that were sex workers on the street and individuals that were actively using and, and, and homeless on the street, they didn't want to touch. You know, and it's the same case here. You have organizations that get money, that get funding to do these things. I mean, you know, you've seen it. We got You got organizations out here right now that are supposed to be getting people into treatment. And they won't even get out of their cars to engage people. They won't even leave their table. Yeah. They have a table set up and they, they'd rather laugh with each other than actually come up to someone and say, hey, this is what we offer. This is what we do. But then say that they're serving. Yeah, and, and but then they'll go back and say nobody wants treatment. Nobody wants to get into treatment. That's not true. You don't want to do your job. Right. You know, we had that event on Friday, and one of those organizations was sitting there in their van for about an hour. They never got out of their van. They sat in the air conditioning in their van, and after an hour, they drove off. I guess that they're expecting that those of us that are out walking around are going to be like, hey, you see that van over there? They're offering treatment. You should go over there and talk to them. They just, you know. We don't want to make them uncomfortable while they're sitting in their air-conditioned van. But these are some of the things that unfortunately happen within the system and no one, and everybody looks the other way. You know, nobody, because even if you file a complaint, nothing happens to them. There is no, right. there is nothing really in place right now because so many individuals within the, the system itself know each other and are friends with each other that they'll just be like, hey, there was a complaint filed. You need to be careful. You need to talk to your peoples, blah, blah, blah. And that's it. Yeah. 
I also think there's a sense there's also a sensitivity when it comes to actually having conversations with people in certain organizations, whether it's internally or externally, because folks always have a reason why that's not true, why that didn't oh, yeah. happen. Yeah. That's not how it happened. That's not true. Yeah. Right. I mean, we have we have, you know, a- another problem, which is you have a lot of folks that are basically standing on on properties or ideas. I mean, you mentioned the ideas, but I have to mention, you know, in particular, a lot of the neighborhood in Kensington right now is getting bought up. And I think it's intentional that they leave some of these uh, properties vacant and allow the chaos to happen, which reduces the property value so that they can buy up more property. Buy more. And they can buy then, more. That's right. Then they can, you know, five years down the line, once folks, you know, die out or move out of the neighborhood um, or just can't afford to stay in the neighborhood, then they prop up, you know, these new buildings and these new services. And all of a sudden you're going to see Kensington turn into, you know, below uh, Lehigh and uh, Lehigh and Frankfurt. So it's going to turn into, you know, Northern Liberties, basically, or, or Lower Kensington, you know, some people might call it. Um, and the yeah. community members, and we've said this a couple of times, the community members who think that they're being protected by their representatives are only being pimped into allowing, you know, more, you know, policing to come in, uh, not keeping people in the neighborhood that would actually have their well-intentioned, uh, you know, best intentions for them. And they're going to basically get to the point where it shrivels up like a grape. And, you know, you hope that the folks can afford the property value when it goes from 30000 to 60000 And their tax, you know, uh, yearly tax is going to go from 300 bucks or 400 bucks to 1200 bucks a month. But I don't think that's going to happen. Those folks are going to wind up not being able to afford the neighborhood they lived in that they helped mm-hmm. create with negative policies yep. that wind up hurting them. Uh, because, you know, they wind up, you know, trying to get Starbucks to come to Kensington instead of trying to have a a small mom and pop business. And, you know, they tried to kick all the people that were actually of the community out because they were using drugs and homeless instead of making those people well and keeping them in the neighborhood. And, you know, you know, basically, you know, gentrification is going to rear its ugly head. So, you know, folks need to be careful, you know, with, you know, trying to go with the side of uh, easy convention or, you know, what, you know, has been implemented for years and hasn't shown progress or hasn't shown any progress because you will wind up getting uh, what you don't expect, which is I used to live in Kensington, uh, you know, when it was a really rough neighborhood. And now 10 years later, I can't afford Kensington and I had to move up to Frankfurt or the lower Northeast and the, and the rich white people uh, or rich people in general uh, who used to live in the suburbs are now taking my neighborhood and, you know, they're using this access point to center city and it's access point to 95 and it's nice niche, niche looking neighborhood. And, you know, there's stores on every corner and there's no problems in the community you know, the problem is only going to move further and further away from the center of activity in Philadelphia and I would say in any major city. If you don't deal with the problems here, it doesn't mean that by pushing them away, it's going to solve the problem. You just have another community with the problem. 
So um, let's get rid of the problem, figure out the solutions um, and, and not, uh, you know, try to just push people away or in up, you know, north, northeast, wherever that major, uh, you know, next neighborhood's going to be. Yeah, I think um, I think that uh, uh, there's a couple of things that people need to realize. One is, you know, and we've said this repeatedly the war on drugs is really a war on people who use drugs and on poor people. You know, it's, um, this whole, this whole thing that's happening is a motivation and a push for communities to come together, to stand up and push this population out. But like you said, it's in the long run, the intent is that they keep buying up properties Eventually, they they once everybody's gone or no people can't afford to live there, they can buy their properties cheap, and then all of a sudden get redeveloped and turn into this new uh, uh, utopia. And I think eventually people are going to end up on the other side of the boulevard, and it's going to become a place, a forgotten land, a forgotten community because it's the other side of the it's the other side of the boulevard. It doesn't. It doesn't have a lot of a uh, of a uh, access, not access, but it doesn't have a lot of things to do, like going to Center City and and all this other stuff without taking a really good long ride. No train access from up there. So I think once it reaches that point over there, that's going to become a, a forgotten land for a very very long time. But um, but let me just say uh, uh we're coming to a, a close here. And I just want to remind folks, you know, think about think about the situations the way they are. Think about your perspective as where you're at and where you would like to be. And think about how would you want to be treated if you were the one that lost everything and was homeless in the street. We don't even have to be talking about related to drug use because drug use is a, is a is a secondary effect sometimes to other more um, more traumatic things that have happened to people in life, and that just becomes an escape sometimes. But think about how you would want to be treated if you lost your job and then was not able to pay the rent and you ended up living on the streets and had to uh, um, survive on the streets with children or without children or by yourself. However, how would you want to be treated? You know, what, what, what do you, would you think would be fair for you, you know, and, and go from there because I, I just, I just don't think that people uh, we have lost and I'm, and we have lost the, the, the reality is that we have lost the perspective that these are human beings, you know, at the end of the day, we've too many people have missed the mark and think, you know, they treat animals better than they do these individuals. So. Right. We wouldn't let people live in conditions that we have people living in. And like I've said in previous editions, we have the example of COVID when everything was shut down and everyone, to the most part, had to do something totally different and new based on safety and security. We all practiced harm reduction. Um, and we also saw some holes in harm reduction and risk reduction because we had a government uh, led by, in my opinion, an orange clown, uh, and I'm doing disrespect to clowns, 
Um, you know, we, 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 we had someone in leadership that A, tried to deny that this pandemic was actually happening, uh, and B, also got other people on board and made people really stretch themselves out very thin for protection as far as public benefits, as far as income to pay for housing, as far as healthcare benefits. Um, where did we go wrong there? As a society, where did we go right? Did we force people to still go to work knowing that they can contract a disease? Or did we say, hey, you, if you can work from home, let's work from home. We're going to do innovative things. We're going to do telemedicine. We're going to do Zoom or online chats. We're going to do you know, uh, home deliveries. We're going to do pick up at the doors. We did creative things that practice harm reduction. Okay. Yep. I want you to think as, as listeners, you know, whether it's around COVID-19 or it's neighborhood related, or it's this actual conversation that we're typically having around drugs and, and, and sex work and poverty in general, were things that we can do to promote harm reduction that is not happening. Does it make sense to have folks, you know, that you complain about, you know, using in public and eating in public and leaving the remnants of both in public on major arteries where people are supposed to be able to walk by, you know, and not feel, you know, sad or threatened or whatever the case is. Does it make sense in a harm reduction vein, in a risk reduction vein to leave those folks on the street? You know, what does leaving them on the street do for us as a society? Does it make sense to, you know, potentially lose, you know, somebody's cousin, if not my cousin, someone's uncle, if not my uncle, someone's mom, if not my mom, and so on and so on and so forth, because we as a society don't want to tell people this is not right. No one should have to be on the streets, no matter what they're doing. No one should have to eat you know, sitting on a park bench unless it's a really nice day and they just want to sit on a park bench and have a picnic with a friend. Why don't we use these areas that we know aren't being used to actually get people what they need to be the most successful? Like I said earlier, or at least alluded to, it's about equality versus equity. We need to not think about that, you know, you know, me being better than that person because I don't use drugs and I have a house and I handle my business and I have a job and how come they can't do it to thinking, why are they doing that? And what can I do to get help that person get on their feet so that I can have a better community so that I can, you know, uh, not have to walk over folks so that, you know, they can get the help that they need. So then they can come back and be a productive person in society like, I know they could be, or, you know, that will benefit my community. Um, and then let's hold ourselves accountable. Let's hold ourselves accountable and the people that represent us accountable. Uh, like we talked about earlier, it's really about, you know, not worrying about what's not happening, at least to start uh, in the community. Let's worry about what we can make an impact on. So if it's the front of my house, if it's the house next door to me, the house, you know, two doors to me, and I notice that there's a consistent problem, can I get organized? And if I can't get organized initially, can I make sure that no one's going to say that my spot is a part of a larger problem? You know, as Bill Belichick says, you know, sometimes you have to just focus on you doing your job. You know, whether you're a homeowner, whether you're a renter, 
why would you want to live in the trash can? And a lot of times people have children and families living in utter filth. You know, your house is not just the inside of your house. The house is what it appears to be on the outside. Um, same thing with business owners. I don't support, you know, businesses that can't clean up outside of their establishment or on the side of their establishment, especially if you're a major corporation. Um, there's no reason why there's trash from three months ago sitting on the side of of the property. And yes, I'm shying you out, Rite Aid at 54th and Baltimore uh, in, in West <laughs> Philly. Um you know, there's no reason why you're a store owner, you know, making thousands of dollars a day and you can't send someone out, whether it's a staffer or it's you as the owner with a dustpan and a broom. Why can't you put out trash cans? Why can't you, you know, tell folks, hey, you know, there there should be a space to do it. And because I don't want you in this space doing it, I'm going to go a, away from my morality, whether drugs are right or wrong, and say, I'd rather have people in places doing drugs or rather have people, you know, in a place where they can sleep and get, you know, rest their head than act like this is going to change because the last 50 years it's changed. Um, yeah. So please, everyone, um, you know, I think we're probably preaching to the choir for most, uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't help implement change. Uh, the choir can move mountains, as you know, most, most church folks know. Um, if we can be a system of change or at least a, a thought of change for folks to start to do their own thing, make sure your alleyways are clean. Make sure your, 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 your staircases are clean. Pick up the can or bottle, do eight to 10 minutes, put your favorite songs on. And while you're outside and people are, you know, you know, outside listening to the music, just make sure your area is clean. And whatever happened to chores, if you do have young people who are of the age to do something, if they can sit on the stoop, they can grab a dustpan and a broom and clean up their area. Just because, as my grandma said, just because you're poor doesn't mean you have to be dirty. And that doesn't mean dirty as far as my body is dirty, but it means dirty as in, as far as what you allow your community to look like. So a little bit of personal, personal responsibility matched with institutional and uh, structural responsibility uh, can make this world a better place. Uh, and honestly, that is harm reduction on a you know larger level. You know, so you know, let's all try to practice better harm reduction. Be better for our community. Start with ourselves, and then build outwards. That's the motto we have here at THC. Yep. So thank you, folks. I'm Elvis Rosado. I'm Clayton Ruley. And we'll see you on the next episode of these hard conversations. Peace, everyone. Thanks for listening to THC. Follow us on Facebook at Those Hard Conversations. Or visit our website at thosehardconversations.com. Mm-hmm.